Hi, my name is Derek Schneider, and I own Visiting Angels in Wichita Falls, Texas, and Lawton, Oklahoma. This podcast is called Addressing the Elephant because I believe it is better to be proactive rather than reactive when it comes to aging well. So each episode, I'll invite someone that has a ton of experience about an issue or topic that relates to elder care, which is a topic that if you live long enough, we'll all have to face. I hope you really enjoy. I wish I found you a long time ago. We could have taken it easy, could have taken it slow. And passed our old lives like a sweet summer day. Like we was on the water watching time. We are uh, addressing the elephant. Today, we're here with Brian Blair with Northwestern Mutual. Brian, how are you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? Great. We're kind of working from, I'm at home and you're in the office, the skeleton crew. Um, so, you know, the quality may be not perfect, but anyway, Brian, how do you introduce yourself to the world? So we're a wealth management firm uh, in Wichita Falls, Texas, that uh, is a part of Northwestern Mutual. We have a team of 10 people, four certified financial planners on our team, and our job every day, it's different every day, but our job every day is to get clients and people out there to focus on uh, the planning pyramid. So the planning pyramid deals with managing risks, which is what we're going to talk about today, accumulating money, and then ultimately distributing money. So we have a team of financial advisors that helps clients do that every single day. That's great. So um, kind of in this world right now, I mean, what you're, you're in the current climate, we are very much about talking about COVID-19, the coronavirus, how is that like affecting y'all? What questions are you answering? Uh, How are you kind of mitigating risk right now for your clients? I got a call from a client yesterday and he said, uh, um, you know, I feel like I'm calling today to ask some questions and I feel like you're, uh, I know everyone else is calling you. And I thought about that and I said, you know, I haven't been this popular since 2008, <laughs> whenever the last big crisis happened. And so we're talking, we, uh, the last two or three weeks, we've done a big outreach to all of our clients, uh, mainly in that middle part of the pyramid. So talking with um, investment clients mainly. <clears throat> and, and the common phrase that I'm hearing is it's different this time. Hmm. You know, we've, we've never, we've never experienced this and it's different. And the conversations that I'm having with clients are every single one of these crises are different. You know, we have never been through, unless you went through the Spanish flu in 1918, you've never been through an international pandemic. Right. We never saw the financial, uh, the, the financial system just lock up like it did in 2008. And we never saw a plane hit a building like we saw in 2001. Those are all very different. But then you talk about with people how it's not different. Hmm. You know, uh, whenever you're dealing with people's money uh, in all those crises, the stock market goes down quickly. Yep. Then it stabilizes and then it goes up 
and it usually goes higher than where it started. And so we talk with clients about how this is different, but how it's not different. And then the other thing, Derek, is we ground everything in financial planning. Yeah. So today more than ever, we're stress testing those plans. You know, uh, what is your, what does your forecast look like now versus a month ago? Mm-hmm. Are you still on track and are you still okay? So those are great conversations that, that we're having. That's good. Um, so, <clears throat> I mean, with anybody though, with this sort of thing and what we hear are, are, with everybody is this sense of fear. Mm-hmm. And so I would imagine, you know, you have the panic phone calls that you guys are getting and so what would you tell somebody that is experiencing that fear has money in this stock market that is seems to be crashing and or you know i mean of course we we can all talk about the stock market what it really is and all those different things but but can you talk about people's fear in in having their money there in those conversations too Warren Buffett, I uh, always love listening to him talk and he's, he has a great phrase. He has a lot of great phrases. The one that sticks with me when you're talking about the middle part of that financial pyramid with wealth accumulation um, and you're seeing your account go from uh, this to down 10% or 20, or if you're younger and more aggressive down 30. Yeah. Um, the the human part of it is a part of it so i think advisor a lot of advisors make a big mistake of just being a little bit too robotic hey this goes down it'll come back up don't worry about it client yesterday said brian this is 40 years worth of my savings and i said i understand that how emotional this can be yeah and Derek, this crisis seems to be even more emotional than 2008 yeah and i think the reason is because it's hitting home a little harder we can't go to our restaurants i'm looking out my window at cinemark movie theater and there has been nobody there for a month um jobless claims are coming out Mm -hmm. through the roof we haven't even seen gdp so all these economic numbers are just starting to come out but there's going to be a long tail on it. So I think you have to talk through the emotional side of it. The, the quote of Warren Buffett that I always think about, he says, investments are a device to transfer money from the impatient to the patient. Hmm. So people who can listen to a, a coach or an advisor and say, you know what? this is emotional and he or she gets that it's emotional. But if I just be patient with this, then everything will work out. It's those people who um, listen to the media, listen to the news too much. Yeah. That's the thing emotional about this. People are at home. So there's nothing else to do, but to turn on the TV. So listening to the news and the bad news and they're getting all wound up about it. Whereas in 2008 or 2001, we just went back to work. We got busy. We looked up a year later and everything was okay. So um, it's hard though. I mean, it's really hard. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think I was listening to somebody, it, it feels, it does feel different for a lot of reasons. You know, one, it's not, it's not this visible sort of enemy, mm-hmm. right? It's not something that we can kind of go, um, they're the ones or it's, it's them that did this. Let's go now, let's all come together and let's go, go after mm-hmm. said enemy. Mm-hmm. This one is like, um, has no bias, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, uh, so whoever, you know, no matter what you have the potential to be like, um, affected. And then, and so, yeah, it does feel a lot different. Some, some optimistic, so half glass full conversation would be in 2001 when the plane hit the building. I mean, it took a month for us to realize who the enemy was. Yeah. In so- 2008, let me tell you, it was scary because we knew what the issue was, but there wasn't one person in this world that knew how to solve it. Yeah. In 2020, within 10 days, doctors knew, within 10 days in the United States, the doctors knew exactly what the issue was and they started targeting within the virus to create vaccines. And so that's what gives me some relief is that our medical community, yes, there's like triage going on and we got to, and we got to flatten the curve and all that. But what gives me a lot of hope about this and confidence is that our medical medical community seems to be on top of this. Yeah. I think there are really smart people that this is not, um, you know, the theory here of it and how to control it is not an, is not new. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a new sort of deal, but it, but how to do it has been set and established long before how to control this sort of epidemic. Yeah. That's, right. that's good. Yeah. That's really good. Okay. So, um, you know, we, um, when we first scheduled this meeting, we wanted to talk a lot about like, you know, long-term care insurance mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and my population that I, I, I get to, uh, I have a privilege to take care of, I'll, you know, I don't know, 10% of my, uh, folks that I get to take care of have these policies and man, I always get to talk to them and just kind of congratulate them. I'm like, you did it. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have a Cadillac policy. You have this great policy that's helped to really set yourself up where you can do a lot of different things. And so, um, but, you know, I, I I guess I wanted to hear your thoughts on, you know, what policies used to be, what policies are, and then like, how, how do we get uh, more information about how to get that? And what does that look like for someone that's in their thirties, but also maybe in their forties and fifties? I think that to start off with a story and and to kind of tie it back to what we're going through right now with this uh, pandemic, people who have empathy, I believe are better planners. But what I mean by that is um, once, so like in Texas here, there are some people who are empathetic about this virus and some who are not. 
some of it, it hits home a little closer to others and they're taking it seriously and some they're not. Yeah. And it's the same thing with long-term care. And, um, and that's why you see people planning for this in their 50s, typically 50s, because they're starting to feel the stories or hear the stories of parents going through this and they see the cost of it and they see the, you mentioned it, the options. So what you're seeing, Derek, is you're seeing the phone calls of people who have resources available that say, I want someone to come into my house. Yep. What you're not getting are the phone calls of the people who can't, they don't have the means to do it. So I think empathy plays a big part of this. Uh, a good story is my grandfather. So what is long-term care to begin with? Well, here's how it, here's how a typical American family deals with it. So my grandfather at age 65, perfect health, really active, falls and hits his head. Mm. And for the next two or three years, just the mental decline, just slowly, you know, the long-term memory fades and then, or the short-term memory fades first. And then we'll, you know, Peapock forgot this or forgot that. And then um, all of a sudden there's, there's an event that happens. In our event, it was scary at the time, but it's funny looking back on it. So our event was my grandfather, about four years from that falling, walks out his front door, goes over to his neighbor's car, which is unlocked, keys are in it, turns it on, starts driving. Um, he finds himself in Iowa Park, he runs, a, he runs a stop sign. The police officer lights him up. Peepaw gets scared, so he keeps on driving. He's got like the whole Iowa Park Police Department on his tail with about four cars. And they spike strip his car. Actually, his neighbor's car. I'll take that <laughs> oh, yeah. And that was about the second or third event where we kind of, kind of said they weren't that extreme, but that was the one where we said we have to do something. But what you have is you have this phase of kind of partial loss and most people just take care of that at home. Yeah. And then they get to a point where the caregiver, usually the spouse says, I can't do this anymore. And that's when they start talking about people coming in to the house, like your company or an assisted living or a nursing home. So my grandfather from that point went into an assisted living facility for about four or five years, then a full on nursing home for a couple of years until he passed away. So um, that is what long-term care is. It has the whole industry has done a, a 180 over the last 10 years. Yeah. So I remember whenever I started in this business 20 year, 20 plus years ago, <clears throat> I always heard that the odds of a long-term care event happening was about 50%. So we would have a client come in and we would talk about this area of planning 
and we would say, you know, you have a 50% chance of getting it, you have a 50% chance of getting it, and so together, one of you is likely to use this insurance. Right. 20 years later, those numbers have gone from 50% to over 70%. Yeah. So it's yeah. huge, big need yeah. and, and an expensive one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I see policies, I mean, you'll, you know, you, you, you know what these policies are, but I mean, I, I see policies that have uh, no, you know, some have no elimination period. And so I guess let's start there. What is an elimination period? How should someone kind of look at um, a policy? What are the things that they should be looking at uh, and that they can get right now? So the first one is how much, how much of a bucket of money do I need? Okay. Yep. We were talking with a client yesterday and we said some things like, you know, the average use of this is about three years. And if you look at costs in your community, it's about eighty to $100,000 per year of a full uh, nursing home like House of Hope. Yep. Um, if you have your company come in 24-7, it's like $120,000. Yeah. So we just take two or three years of that. Right. And that's the bucket of money that we start with. So anywhere from two or $300,000 of a bucket of money, that's where you start. Yep. And then you look at things like uh, waiting period, elimination periods, the same, the same thing. So like deductible, deductible. Yep. So how, how, uh, how long do I have to pay for this out of pocket before the policy starts to kick in? Right. We typically do a three month waiting period. And the reason we do that is two reasons. First, Clients can usually self-fund this for three years. Yeah. And if they can't, a lot of the times Medicare will kick in for a hundred days. Yeah. So, and that's, that is one of the, um, the misconceptions about long-term care is that, oh, my health insurance or Medicare or something else will cover this. And that's not the case for the long-term. Not for, not for your 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 basic what we call activities of daily living yep yep just doesn't, just doesn't do it right now so yep and that's a good point of of so we talk about the bucket of money we talk about the elimination period a lot of the older policies that you see are called indemnity contracts so as soon as that policy kicks in they just start throwing money to the to the client um, nowadays, that's a big difference between old policies and new policies. Today, they're just reimbursement contracts, yeah. which it works out, what I've seen, it works out just the same, yep. but you're just reimbursed instead of just getting that monthly check in the mail. Yeah. I honestly don't see probably very much of these indemnity that I know of anyway. Mm -hmm. It is some of that reimbursement, but it's, but it's set up very differently. Sometimes they have an elimination period. Sometimes they don't, mm -hmm. so, and then and then and then they have what's and then sometimes they don't have a a limit. So you talk about a three year sort of thing, where they take their basically a daily limit what it would be, and then they multiply it by however many days, three years or whatever. Bucket of money. That's your bucket money. Well, some of them have a no, you know, and so I'm having conversations with somebody that's seventy five years old or something, mm -hmm. and they don't have an elimination like a 
they don't have a limit. And yeah. I'm like, a benefit these conversations. I'm like, friend, you need to do this. Yep. Like this would be, this is, this is great. This is free for you. You know? And I tell them, I'm like, this is not even an option. There's no, and correct me if I'm wrong. Is there a option for someone to purchase a policy has a limit, an unlimited set of value to? So that's one of the other big things that changed. So in, in 2010, let's say 10 years ago, there were 125 different companies offering long-term care insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now there's 10, 10, wow. uh, 115 companies have basically said, uh, we're not doing this anymore. We're losing money. We're losing money on this, or we're so scared about the future of what costs will be right. that we're not willing to risk it. And so um, those companies didn't go out of business. What they did was just sell their block of business to someone else, or just basically say, we're not doing any new policies. Um, but in 2012, um, that is when I bought long-term care for myself. I would have never thought that I would buy it at 30 years old. Right. Um, but I did because in 2012, the whole industry got rid of the lifetime benefit option. So that is the unlimited bucket of money. And right you before have, it, you have the, you have the, the lifetime. I do have the lifetime me and Mallory both. We need a, we need a, we need a beach up or something. <laughs> and that's the other thing about these, this kind of insurance. A lot of people don't want to talk about it yeah. because uh, it's one of those insurances that you hate to buy, but you kind of have to buy it. And then you hope that you never use it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's probably, we talk about this, this whole, the whole idea of this addressing the elephant is that in reality, <clears throat> um, the end is coming. It, mm -hmm for everyone. Now, how that happens is going to be very different from everybody. But but as you mentioned, now it's it's 80% of folks that are going to live um to a certain extent and then they're going to need help. Mm -hmm. Now it's I mean, and this is insurance companies that are saying this, which they're mitigating risk. And so it's probably it has the potential to be even higher than this. And so it is, it's a very, yeah, it's a very interesting reality. You have, um, you know, companies out there and government, the government out there is saying, we want you to buy this stuff. So they are giving tax credits. I mean, they're making it as easy as possible to purchase this. And if you have a good advisor, you can, you hear the costs, the costs are astronomical. Mm -hmm. um, the cost of insurance, the problem with the cost of insurance isn't really the cost. That's not the problem. The problem is the issue. The problem is the long-term care event that you mentioned on the backside of life. That's the issue. And you get a good advisor or a coach, they can help you work uh, this into your budget. One of the other issues is I mentioned all these companies are getting out of the business. The 10 that remain, so what we do with clients is we go shop it for them. So we'll take a client based on their needs and how much their health and their family history. We'll go out to those 10 companies and create the best uh, product and situation for them. 
but the problem is these 10 companies are so strict mm. on who they say yes to. Sh sure. They, uh, there's a 30 or 40 or 50% decline rate in your sixties or seventies. So, um, that is, that should encourage you at thirties in your thirties or our friends in our forties to think about this a decade before when people are honestly thinking about it. Yeah. You know, um, I, whenever I have conversations, cause currently right now they, they may have not done this, but, um, 10 years ago, but the ones I'm seeing now, this is ship, John John Hancock, um, Jen Worth, um, Transamerica. These companies they'll uh, actually send out uh, almost a third party nurse to come into one's home and evaluate that person. So it's not just you know, hey, I need help. Yep. But they're going to come in here and kind of do an assessment, almost like an adjuster would, mm -hmm. right, for a home. And you know, think, about, think about the difference too. So we deal a lot with life insurance also. Yeah. Whenever, it, it, think about the underwriting process. If your family has a history of heart attacks, mm -hmm. like, that's, act, that's a bad thing for life insurance. It's not such a bad thing for long-term care underwriting. Because things that will just kill you is actually a positive for long, for long-term care. Sure. Sure. So the underwriting process, my point is it's very different. Whenever I went through it uh, in 2012, they did a phone interview with me. Yeah. And they said, Brian, we're going to have a 10 minute conversation. I'm going to ask you some medical questions, but before we start, I want you to remember the word blue and the number 10. Okay. And so we'd go through this conversation at the end of it. They said, Brian, what was the, those two words that I asked you to remember? Well, it was blue and number 10. Okay, perfect. That's the mental part of this exam. So, and that's what, that's the interesting part of this. What kicks it into force? How can I get paid? Yeah. My long-term care policy. Well, it's either your mental. Right. Alzheimer's is the number one thing that, that we are paying claims on. Number two is stroke, mm -hmm. physical. So it's either mental or physical. Um, and it's an or thing. It doesn't have to be both. But the mental part of it I, is what I see not only today, but if you, if you take two 30-somethings and you age us 40 or 50 years, I'm, I'm guessing that's what's going to be continue to be the highest risk. Yeah, and we've had conversations uh, with uh, Sue Gross with Alzheimer's Association, and just talking about like what, what you know, what does it look like, you know, going forward, and how this is just an an absolute. It's an epidemic in and of itself. You're right, yeah. um, for a lot of reasons. But you know, um, you know, sometimes we'll riff here in a second, just for a second. But um, I've started thinking about. Um, all these numbers that we are inundated with right now with COVID, mm -hmm. right? Yep. The curve and the deaths and the tests and the everything. All the numbers, yep. so many numbers that are coming out at us at once at all times. Mm -hmm. And it's very overwhelming. 
you know, I'm like, I'm not a very big, I'm not a numbers person, but, <clears throat> but then, but I have become, and I'm like, okay, it's 14 days and we're having to do that in our office, just kind of going, if we hear of somebody being possibly infected and we, we need to, you know, um, go in quarantine for a certain number of days, there's your number again. Anyway, all these different things that we are hearing. And, you know, I just wonder, you kind of just think through that. And I'm just very curious, like for other things, wouldn't it have been, would it, would it be interesting if you saw these numbers from other different things on a more, on a normal state scale basis, like Alzheimer's, like cancer and, you know, maybe people get moving, you know, quicker. And that's, that's too what I think about. And I think about, so my buddy this morning texted me, said, you know, there's a thousand deaths in Singapore overnight. And I said, that's, I mean, that's terrible. There's also, there's also 6 million people in Singapore, you know, so you have to, it's, it's all, all about this perspective. And, and the other thing is uh, it is about perspective and it's about empathy. And if you put Alzheimer's and stroke and cancer in the scheme of things, yeah. which is this long-term care conversation, if you put that in the scheme of things of terrorism right. and um, uh, COVID and things like that, you're exactly right. That They're off the charts compared to these things right. that we're dealing with today. Yeah, it's just, it's remarkable to put things in perspective sometimes like that and not to downplay because I'm very serious about kind of what was going on right here and just the with with COVID, it is awful um, because we don't have the tests. We don't have, um, you know, the, the vaccine. But what's also awful is, and that is where it gets to empathy. Yes. If, if you deal with this, um, kind of the heart-wrenching story about uh, my grandfather is that we like, so to take a person from the home, an Alzheimer's patient from the home, you know, a, a nursing home is like a oh. huge family meeting, like big time, big time. What's yep. people going to do? Uh, how's he going to react? Uh, is he going to try to break out of the ha- of the nursing home? I mean, people try to do that. And what I found was that it was, it, and this was just our situation. It was so unique. I remember sitting in the living room of Sterling house where he was mm-hmm after about two months of him being there and we were kind of powwowing with uh, the caregivers and how's he doing and all that. And the person who had the most problem with it was my grandmother, the caregiver. Sure. It feels like I've been, I'm divorced from my husband of 50 years. You know, things like that are just heart wrenching. Yeah. Yeah. It's and putting it, putting it into perspective is really important. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, uh, man, I appreciate this and I appreciate, I mean, I love, um, love the fact that, uh, you have empathy that you care enough to talk about like life mm-hmm. and, and death mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, you're kind of like a, you're like a pastor, man. You know, I got, I got a couch right over here, like a shrink's couch. If someone right. wants to 
you know, you get to, you know, you get the good stuff, you know? Yeah. And you get to talk about the bad stuff. It's like a pastor. That's what your kind of role is. I mean, it's very much like, so it's real unique. And, you know, I get to come into homes whenever just kind of at the tail end of things and, and, and helping, you know, a great joy of mine is helping that caregiver have quality of life. And so at the, at the time when they're providing that care for their loved one, like you mentioned. And so, uh, I'd encourage everyone to reach out to a financial advisor to talk, talk this through because every, every situation is unique and different. Um, but it is, you know, I take joy in the fact that we do get to help people through the good times and the bad times. I'm like this, this afternoon, I'm making a phone call to a client who texted me. She's 75 and a widow. Mm. And she said, I just tested positive for COVID. And, you know, you're having these conversations, you deal with them and you deal with the next generation, the kids Mm -hmm. and try to, to bring that together. And, um, uh, you, but you know, the next day you're, you're dealing with, you know, a young family like yours and you're talking about college and, 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 and growing a family and things like that. So it is both ends of the, it is, it is. I appreciate your empathy and, and what you do uh, for our community. It means a lot. It really does. You're, you're quite special, man. Appreciate yeah. you. I appreciate you asking me, uh, even though I didn't get the mic, the fuzzy microphone in the yeah. head. Yeah. It's, we need to do it again. We'll figure out a time. Um, well, Hey, thanks, Brian. Appreciate you. Uh, stay on. I'm a we'll, we'll kind of wrap up. I'm going to close down here. I wish I found you. I wish I found you. I wish I found you, I wish I found you a long time.